0: Welcome to this latest episode of CEPAD Pod. I'm Simon Mayborn, and today I'm joined by Mariam Salehi. Mariam is a postdoctoral fellow at the WZB Berlin Social Science Centre. She's also a fellow at CEPAD. She's someone who's done a lot of fascinating and incredibly important work on transitional justice and the case of Tunisia. I'm really looking forward to speaking with her today about her really really important and fascinating work. She's got a, um, a book coming out with Manchester University Press on this topic of transitional justice, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to hearing more about it. So, Marianne, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Simon. I'm very excited too.
0: <laughs> it's a pleasure. Uh, I've been meaning to, to get around to this for a while, so I've, I'm, I'm delighted that we found time to do it. So, Mariam, let's start at the at the top, then, please. What was it that that got you interested in in politics, transitional justice, and and the Middle East?
1: Um. Yeah, that's a that's a big question, actually. And um, I mean, I've, I think I've always been interested in in politics from a from a very young age, and. Um, then when I um when I was about to decide what I what I wanted to study I actually chose an interdisciplinary program uh, in um yeah what was called like a European studies program but it mostly meant that um I was studying a combination of political science sociology cultural history and law right. and um but I yeah but I was mostly interested in in the political questions and what is um sometimes fascinating for me is that what I learned in this interdisciplinary uh, bachelor's program, um, that it all came back at some point. So, um, yeah, in, in the first or second semester, uh, I remember how we how we talked about Orientalism and how what does that mean for for Europe and how to define Europe? And um, there, there was um, Said coming up, and and that always, uh, of course, comes up later uh, in um, yeah in research or in discussions uh, about the Middle East. And um, yeah, so that was my undergrad, and then I um, did a master's in global politics. Um, at the London School of Economics, so um, yeah, as to to, to broaden my horizon, and uh, I mean, I, I took a few courses on on the Middle East or or the MENA region, but then I also um, while at the LSE, I had lots of friends uh, from from Lebanon, and um, that's why I decided to towards the end of my masters uh, to do an internship in Lebanon. Um, the Heinrich Böll Foundation, which is a German political foundation, uh, focusing on the hybrid tribunal. So yeah, I took a few few courses in the directions um, during my masters in international political theory, politics of international law. So I, I was interested in, in in these issues, and so I yeah I did the internship um, at Böll, focusing on the STL, doing some some interviews with um, yeah. Some some civil society representatives, some some media uh, representatives on on the issue, and um, so this is also what I, I thought I would be working on um, when I applied for for the project in which I I would uh, in which I did my PhD. So I, I thought that uh, I would do a Lebanon project because that was a was a case I knew already a bit. But then, um, uh, yeah, within the project, my my boss. Said that, hmm, Mariam, wouldn't it be great if you would do the Tunisia case study, nice? <laughs> then, yeah, sure, why not?
0: So well Mariam, is- before we get to the Tunisian case, if I may, can I ask you a little bit more about that time in Lebanon then? So working on the, the Special Tribunal, what was it that that you were doing exactly? What were you uh, what were you focusing on in particular? Given that you've got this this broad multidisciplinary background and this burgeoning interest, what was what was it what was it like doing this as well?
1: Um I mean, yeah. As I said, I, I was um, coming to that from an uh, from an interest in how um, how these uh, yeah yeah how these tribunals are perceived politically, and the special tribunal for Lebanon is a very specific construct because um, it is uh, yeah it's a hyper tribunal which is normally uh, set up. Uh, through a treaty between um, the country and the UN, and in, in contrast to uh, the um, the tr- um, tribunals uh, that are entirely international, like the ICTY or the ICTR, hybrid tribunals um, they are they are staffed um, with uh yeah also domestic judges sometimes and 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 also but the financing mechanism is is also different because uh yeah financing is shared or or, um or, or the burdens are mostly carried uh by by the state in question and um the the thing with the special tribunal for lebanon is that initially um there was such a treaty negotiated but then um yeah, um, the the Speaker of the Parliament never called Parliament um, to, to vote on, on this treaty. And then, um, yeah, uh, through some political lobbying by um, by certain political actors, uh, the Security Council decided uh, to establish the special tribunal under Chapter 7, which then also meant that um, Lebanon couldn't really get out of that because it wasn't. Actually, a treaty anymore, but it still had to uh, carry lots of the financial burdens, which um, yeah uh, is criticized uh, a lot because it's actually very expensive. And uh, I think, I mean, I, I would have uh, would need to look number, uh, up numbers how how they actually look at right now. Um, but uh, um, yeah, uh, it's much more expensive than um, than the Lebanese justice system in general. And so I, I was interested. And how um, such uh, an institution that was already set up uh, in a very controversial way was perceived by by certain societal groups, and so um, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, it, since the the Bell Foundation had a um, yeah had also had an interest in in in, in conflict and. Um, uh, in these justice questions, we thought that it would be uh, interesting for me to to explore these questions, and so yeah, I, I went out to, uh, to, to speak with some people, as I said, like from the media, from civil society, to and um, yeah, to to find out more about that.
0: Amazing! It sounds sounds fascinating and uh, really important and interesting um well, time and and project. For someone who's not all that well versed in the um, in the politics of tribunals, you mentioned two different types of, of tribunals. Could you just give us a, a quick précis of, of the difference and why is why is the the Lebanese tribunal so so controversial in that in that um, in the way it's been set up?
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting that we're speaking about that now because. Um that internship, that was in 2011, right? Yeah. So, and I mean, of course, I followed the issue, but um, I haven't actually worked on it since then. Um, but... Yeah. So you you have these, um, but I mean I can still give you a, a quick um, a quick differentiation. So you have international tribunals like the um, tribunal for the former Yugoslavia or, or for for, um, for Rwanda, and these are set up under Chapter Seven by the United Nations Security Council, and then they are operated um, yeah entirely internationally and. This means that also UN the UN pays pays for it, and then you have hybrid tribunals, and um, yeah, as I said, they are negotiated um, through a treaty between the United Nations and and the country in question, and, and this means that a that a very specific um, kind of legislation is is designed for them, and um, so uh, no hybrid tribunal looks as uh, as another one so um, how how the law that is going to be applied looks like how um, yeah, how the um, the configuration of ju- uh, judges and staff looks like and it, it's just that you will have both international actors and domestic actors involved and also a, a combination of legislation usually and um, yeah the hybrid tribunal for lebanon is, is specific in so far that it, Um, is dealing with terrorism, which is, um, yeah, I think the only tribunal um, that is internationalized, um, that is is doing that. And then also that it has this um, weird, uh, that there was this weird situation that it was on the one hand um, a hybrid one so that it should be set up um, voluntarily, and then on the other other hand, it was set up under Chapter Seven, so it was not so voluntarily anymore.
0: That it's fascinating. I realise that this is taking you back over a decade now, but thank you for for sharing those those insights, particularly for someone who knows very very little about about the the formal mechanisms that create the the tribunals. But uh, maybe moving away from from <laughs> Lebanon. You were then sort of prompted to uh, to think about Tunisia as 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 a similar type of case study that raises similar types of questions, or or a completely different type of case, but that still has similar types of um, of problems. What was the, the the thinking behind it, from what you were aware of, at least?
1: Um. Yeah. So I I did my PhD within the context of a um of a network that was. Um, called reconfigurations history remembrance and transformation processes in the middle east and north africa and in this network we had four research units so we were 10 um researchers um in total so five postdoctoral researchers five doctoral researchers i was one of the doctoral researchers and i was in the research unit political transformation and transitional justice and um so uh, yeah as i said um yeah, I was employed as a, as a researcher in that unit, but we still had to figure out what we um, actually wanted um, to get it. And um, as I said, one of my bosses had a specific interest in Tunisia, and really would um, yeah would have liked to see that case covered within um, the framework of our network. And uh, yeah, I I hadn't um, thought about the Tunisian case so much beforehand, but then I thought like. Um, yeah. Then I then I started reading um, um, about it, and um, my my first um, impulse was also then trying to get at similar questions. Uh, so um, looking at trials as well, and trying to to get at the questions of um, whether these trials um, are perceived to be fair or delivering justice for different kinds of. Um, um, yeah, political actors or, or or different different kinds of groups and how how they perceive the trials of um, Ben Ali and his family. Um, so there were two sets of trials um, at the beginning uh, um, of the yeah let's call it post-revolutionary hmm. period or transition period in Tunisia. So one uh, were, um, one set of trials were like military trials against um, Ben Ali and other high figures from the regime. Um, for uh, yeah, human rights violations during the revolution, and the other set of trials were civil trials for um, corruption, embezz- embezzlement, um, financial crimes um, yeah, against Banali and uh, and his family. And um, so, so this was the initial question. I went to the field with like, how are um, are these trials? Perceived to deliver some some kind of justice or, or not, but then um, when I uh, arrived in Tunisia for my first um, uh, two month stay of of fieldwork, and I started doing interviews with um, politicians from different parties, from uh, yeah, with a civil society representatives from from different organisations and different um, yeah, also um, political orientations. Uh, one of the things that struck me most was that my interview partners and several of them actually questioned whether these kind of questions that we're asking um, are making sense in the current political context. Uh, and um, so they were, they were asking a question about timeliness and mm-hmm. uh, basically saying, Mariam, um, what you're asking about, nobody cares about that right now. So let's talk about things um, that we actually care about right now.
0: So how far did that take you away from what it was that you were wanting to do? Because I guess with with transitional justice and and transformation politically and, and legally there are some quite technical issues even if it's based on perception. So so how did that how did that impact on what you were wanting to do then this realization that people weren't interested in that anymore?
1: <laughs> yeah, um it, it it took me away from that in that it just broadened it broadened my perspective, and it broadened what I I was looking at. So um, I I was then, um, yeah, I, I turned to to asking more more open questions or, or let people tell me what they think is important right now. And um, at that moment in time, so that was in um, in early two thousand fourteen. Um, so the transitional justice law had um, just been passed by parliament. Um, a few um, like a few months earlier, and the truth commission was about to be set up. So this setting up of the truth commission was um, something people were uh, were more interested in, and in, in, also in uh, in questions about um, how quickly things would move forward. And then um, this, yeah, the setting up of the truth commission kind of fell into the same um, time period as. Um, questions about a new electoral law that uh, would have uh, continued to um, not allow uh, former members uh, uh, yeah, or members of the former ruling party to run, but this was then, yeah, that didn't pass. So these questions of like vetting who can participate in the state, uh, in the new, yeah, in the new state uh, institutions and, um accountability for um for past repression uh, um they they kind of all fell together and they seemed more pressing than um trials uh, like yeah as one of my interview partners put it trials against a person who's not even here um so yeah it, it took me away from from these initial questions and in that uh it made me ask broader questions and actually um Listen more to what people say is pressing at the moment.
0: Yeah. Sure. So the the lessons that we all go through with our fieldwork of of going with a set <laughs> yeah. of things we think are important, only to find out that well, yes, perhaps not quite. Um, <laughs> but that, it's really interesting to to hear you you sort of reflecting on that, particularly in light of the dramatic changes that that uh, Tunisia went through after the, um, the 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 uprisings, the revolution. Can I just Ask a bit of a, a tangential question, Mariam, in the sense that yes. transitional justice for um I I guess it's something that is is maybe situated across different disciplines. So perhaps for, for people who are unaware of of what actually is at stake with transitional justice, maybe you can just give us a little bit of have an overview of, of where transitional justice is situated, whether it's politics or law or or otherwise, and and what is it that it that it actually does? I mean, what what would a transitional process in Tunisia or transitional justice process in Tunisia actually try and do? What would it hope to achieve?
1: Um, yeah, of course. And sorry, and I I think I've listed you with yeah, about yeah, three no,
0: questions. <laughs>
1: I think it, it will be a bit of a detour that takes a bit of time <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. So um, the thing is that we're, we're talking about transitional justice as a, um, as a practical field and as an academic field and these kind of things, they're also overlapping um, because the, the field also has been shaped through, um, yeah, cooperation among um, scholarship and practice. And I would say in, but, for for the take uh, for the sake of of clarity let's let's um separate these two spheres um but i would say that both spheres actually um of both spheres you are actually right that they are situated uh, at the intersection of of different disciplines and um um when you when you look at um genealogies or at scholarship that tries to trace back um where transitional justice comes from, you you have you have kind of two, um, two points in time that are usually mentioned, and the first one would be um, coming more from from the legal perspective, that would be the the trials after the Second World War mm-hmm. uh, in Nuremberg and Tokyo, and then um, yeah, developing further, um, with regard to um legal measures, um, as we have already talked. About uh, international courts and tribunals, hybrid courts, these kind of things, then sometimes also um, including including domestic trials. But then um, you have the different uh, strand of measures that is evolving, which is um, truth commissions, and um, yeah, they um, have become more prominent. Um, yeah, in in Latin America um, after. Uh, after the um fall of uh yeah many dictatorships there and then also with the south african um truth and reconciliation uh, commission in, in the 1990s and they are now also an um yeah a very established measure uh, in in transitional justice and then um and looking at this um this other measure of truth, truth commissions around uh, around um uh, this uh Set of, of measures, you had a field emerging um, in the late 1980s, early 1990s of um, scholars, practitioners um, from from also the legal field, then activists in, in the human rights field, um, in uh, evolving around these transitional um, countries in Latin America and Eastern Europe. And um, so, yeah, you have these two points in time that are usually mentioned um, as. Um, important for for transitional justice to to emerge and by now i think we have a a, a very professionalized field you have, have several actors um and actors like the international center for transitional justice that usually go to uh, uh help uh transitional countries to set up um a process and then you have a uh, Branches in the United Nations, for example, in, at UNDP or OHCHR, um, that that care about these things. Um, so you, um, yeah, you you have a um, quite a large set of actors that, that care about uh, transitional justice, and that um, yeah, that are um, and people who are ready to to um, go and support if they think that a country. Um, is in a situation that they would want um, that kind of support or could need it and, uh, um, and I mean I, w- I would say of course transitional justice is always political because um, it becomes necessary because of um, political change or um, political crimes repression mm-hmm. um, these kind of things and um, not only it- becomes necessary, it also becomes possible. And then I would also say um, that transitional justice um, and, it, and the shape it takes in a certain context also depends on political um, constellations. And I would say that the the law we we've seen in Tunisia um, only was able to um, be um, designed as a was now um, because of a certain political constellation and political preferences of some actors, and those actors were in power for some for some time. And if we had had a different political constellation of the revolution, the transitional justice law would probably have looked um, differently.
0: Sure. So context is key, obviously. Um.
1: Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like always. probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it
0: just struck me that, that when you mentioned. That, that such things emerge from political change. That strikes me as, as really, really important, but but potentially opening up scope for this type of, of process and discussion in, in a whole host of different contexts, not necessarily contingent on, on meeting a, a particular set of, or not just contingent on meeting a particular set of criteria, which I thought quite interesting and wasn't something that I'd had really thought through before. Have I understood that correctly or am I missing something here?
1: Um, I mean, can you repeat the question? <laughs>
0: Sorry. I can try. Um, this could just be me being rather clunky with my phrasing, but when you were talking about the, the emergence of such um, commissions and processes yeah. being driven by political change, are there... Are there particular conditions that are necessary in order for a transitional justice process to be to be established? Um, are there criteria, for instance, clearly uh, clearly identifiable criteria that says a process of transitional justice is necessary if these following conditions are met? Or is it more sort of amorphous and perhaps subjective that that, that processes can be established whenever there is that broad rubric of political change
1: um yes i i I mean i think the latter and i think it's not only that um you need some moment of change for transitional justice process to um being established but also that what what i find particularly interesting is that these processes also aim at um fostering or catalyzing change um and I think this is something that sometimes is um, yeah, not forgotten, but not talked about that so much. So um, it's often talked about that transitional justice is for periods of transition, but not so much that they actually. Yeah, well, then you have you also have this this critique that um, they. That transition justice processes um, are pushing towards a certain vision of uh, liberal market democracy these kind of things um but um yeah i think that they also um further push for change and and actually um play a part in in how um change is developing um i think this is something we um yeah uh, we we also should have a closer a closer look at and um but what I what I think is um, important to think about is that you have um, I mean of course you you have the the, the window of opportunity let's call it of uh, about that in in different countries and um, and of course there there is a, such a window of opportunity is necessary to establish um, such a process as it was established in Tunisia with. Um, initial approval of of state actors with um the um yeah the passing of a very far-reaching very ambitious law but then of course you also have um transitional justice as as something that is now expected to be done in in societies um yeah in transition or coming out of war and that now also starts sometimes um, in in like during conflict or uh, during war, and there, um, I mean, if you if you look at Syria for example, it's not the state that is um, participating in, in setting up um, these no. kind of measures, but that are um, yeah international governmental non governmental organizations and most importantly also civil society actors pushing for it. So um, I would say for having such a, um, yeah. Um, a process that is at least initially approved um, by the state and enshrined by law you of course need uh, need to have um yeah you need to have a certain um uh, political will and um but but that doesn't mean that there aren't any efforts uh taking place if the political will is absent
0: sure so in the in the tunisian case then what is it that you've um that you found from your from your research what are the the key takeaways because having looked at um the, the pre uh, sort of proof drafts of the book and it, it's fascinating uh, but what what is the key takeaway that you would or the key takeaways that you'd like people to to leave after reading after reading the book
1: um yeah i think what um so I, I think the the premise of, of the book is kind of that I, I was research, re, researching a, um, a process while it was evolving, right? So I was accompanying the process over time. And so I tried to, to um, develop uh, the work in a way that it would still be valuable, even uh, if um, things would go in one direction or, or the other. And so one conceptual takeaway I would say is that um, it actually tells us a lot, or gives us, um, um, yeah, you know, it has analytical value to look at uh, what I call procedural characteristics, and um, there I would say that um, with regard to uh, yeah transitional justice in particular, um, or looking from a transitional justice perspective, I, I would say that how um, how the process was planned and designed. Um, yet yeah, that it it always interplays with with unplanned dynamics and um that this is um so so that we should go kind of go away from just assuming um linear and goal-oriented perspective but but looking at what are actually the dynamics that that also influence uh, what is going on and then then we can also see that um yeah the nonlinearity playing out in this process and I, as I, as i said i think how um how the process was set up was only possible because of a certain um political configuration at a at a certain point in time and then you had um different actors um getting into positions of power and then this means that the political int- has changed and um so um you you didn't have the political support anymore for that particular project that was set up um a couple of years earlier and um yeah and then then of course the um the the internationalization of the project also played in a very important role because um international advisors brought in certain ideas and um tunisian actors um took up some of them, not all of them, shaped these ideas in their interest, and and I would say that uh, one one takeaway um is that I mean the often criticized um bureaucratization of these internationalized policies that this is not um not instead of politics but this is actually part of politics. So it, it's in the interest of particular political actors that we had this internationalized and um, kind of technocratized project. Um, so it's actually very political that something is being technocratized in such a way. And and then what I would also say is that um, conflict and friction are very important for, for the whole process. And mm-hmm. um yeah uh, for for driving for driving and defining it so yeah that was a very long takeaway but
0: But a very important takeaway nonetheless I'm
1: yeah to work on my elevator pitch
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I think that the the book does such a wonderful job of of setting all these things out and I'm really looking forward for for other people to get the chance to, to see what's, what I've seen. So, Mariam, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned so much about uh, about transitional justice and Tunisia. So, thank you so much for, for spending uh, some of your Monday morning with us. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Simon.
0: A huge thank you to Mariam for spending time with us, talking through her work and talking about her A wonderful new book i'm very much excited for it to come out in the identities and geopolitics series with manchester university press that is co-edited by uh, edward wasnig may darwish and and me so very exciting stuff as always you can find us on soundcloud you can find us on spotify acast and apple podcasts so please do uh do what, what you're supposed to do, I guess, with podcasts that you listen to. Like, subscribe, comment. I think that's about it. I think that's about all we can ask people to do, realistically. Um, other than maybe tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone that you think might be interested in what it is that we're doing. Um, spreading the word, the word about the, the Sepad pods would be uh, would be very much appreciated. Other podcasts have got little catchphrases to spread the pod or grow the pod, but I think we'd maybe uh, best just leave it at that. But a huge thank you to Mariam again, a huge thank you to you for listening, and uh, as always, till next time.